friends, Taylor from Doom to Fail. It is the week between Christmas and New Year's, so trying to do as little as possible, um, but I do want to put some re-releases out for you, so we're going to start with episode 12, part one, the sad, sad story of our dear, dear Phil Hartman, gone way, way too soon. Um, if you have any ideas or questions or things that we should do as we kind of move into doing more disaster stories, send us an email, doomtofailpod at gmail.com. Thank you. In the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA09. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Doom to Fail. I'm Farge. Join here. Fuck it up again. Hi, everyone. What? No, you well, didn't. That's your name. <laughs> that is my name, but that's not how. So I got to do the Hi, everyone. Welcome to Doom to Fail, the podcast where Taylor and I desperately want to be rich and famous. So please subscribe to everything and please rate it. And then tell your friends to rate it and subscribe and listen. And if you don't want to listen, that's fine. You can actually turn the volume off. Let it just run in the background because the algorithms don't know that you're listening. So there's always, Great a, idea. Always a solution <laughs> problem. Uh, I'm Fars. I'm joined here by Taylor. Taylor, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm tired. I'm I locked myself out of my house last night and I sat there for two hours in 40 degree weather waiting with like uh, no clothes on basically waiting for a locksmith, which was awesome. My dog oh looked my at God. me. I was gonna... She was like staring at me like, you realize this is stupid, right? Like she literally was giving me that <laughs> eye. She's real embarrassed, I bet. Yeah. I was going to ask about the weather. So it wasn't raining? I don't know. That was, a, yeah. At the very least, it wasn't raining. So that's why <laughs> I you had your phone. I did have my phone. Did yeah, you have your phone? If I didn't have my phone, I don't actually know what I would have. What would you? What do you do? Like, I, like, like, I don't know. Walk my to a neighbor's house and hope they don't call the police. I don't know. Yeah. I guess. Were you wearing shoes? I don't know. Yeah, I was wearing shoes. Um, that's good, at least. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you got in and don't do that again. Yeah, I'm going to try my best. Taylor, did you want to call out the re most recent addition to the media channels portfolio of yes. the Doom to Fail network? Oh, yes, absolutely. So I started uploading our audio to YouTube. So it's just like a, our picture and then the audio. But I know that YouTube is a big platform for listening to podcasts. So I, I put everything on, on there and our episode about Alex Murdoch and his him being a murderer uh, has 180 or something views already. I don't know if people are listening to the whole thing. It also has two thumbs downs, which I feel like is not necessary. And I can't find out who thumbs downed it. But we did gain two more We're subscribers. So now we have four subscribers. And so yeah, that's a fun way to listen to it. So if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. I'll put the link in our um, in the notes, but it's just like doomed to fail podcast at YouTube. And I want everyone to subscribe just come on in there. It's another way to listen to it. That's super fun. And then also we've been hopping on Instagram this week. I posted something about uh, RFK Jr. making an exploratory committee to run for president. And I have several crazy people wrote comments about how he's a great man and a great liberal and upholds his family's legacy. And then when I go to their profiles, there's one person who's literally their entire profile is trying to get ChatGPT to confirm that trans people aren't real. And I'm like, Grow up. That's so dumb. What I are you wonder, doing with your life? I wonder how we <laughs> strung the 
the theory together that you use chat GPT. I don't know. I mean, I guess chat GPT is pretty powerful. So how many views did you say we had on the uh, Don't Murder Off Your Family? I think like 180. I can actually, I can look. Okay, we're at 183 because you messaged me yesterday saying 120. So wait, at 8 p.m. yesterday, my time, we had 128 and then we went up by 60 as of this morning. Yeah. In like 14 hours. I know. I think that's because of some keywords. And then also people started watching the other ones. So uh, Traders and Terrorists, Russian to the Apocalypse got some views. Not as many, but a couple. So I don't know. Maybe people look around. So that's exciting. We'll you know, eventually. That's not people we know. Yeah, it's definitely not people we know. It will eventually actually just because we record these as videos. So we will eventually just upload the videos as well. Once. Yeah, we'll get there. I need, I need to learn how to edit better, as y'all already can tell yeah. from my regular editing. I think you do great. You, you taught yourself how to do it in like four minutes. So great job. So Taylor, what is, hey, first off, who's going first today? Is, is it me? Yeah, it's you. Okay. Do you want to tell us what your drink is and I'll segue into the true crime and tell them what my drink is? Yeah. Um. So for me, we're going to drink, we're going to drink more wine because we're going back into ancient times where wine was like water. You just drink wine. I don't know if you even drank water because um, we're going to go to um, the Eastern Roman Empire and Byzantium later. So red wine out byzantium love it. it over to you yeah awesome okay i will kick things off my drink today is a drink y'all probably won't remember because if you're much younger than taylor and i you won't remember much of what i'm gonna talk about today the drink is slice soda which if y'all do remember it was basically in competition with sprite and seven up for the war of the lemon flavored sodas which we all remember, of course, in the 90s. Of course. Um, the reason I picked Slice is because the pitch man back in the 90s is who I'm going to be discussing. He was uh, really funny, and he calls the cans that they come in metallic containers and promotes it by saying if you buy six of them, they come with a plastic carrying container, which, of course, is the plastic thing that holds the six cans together. It's silly. It's over the top. It's a commercial. He was legitimately their pitch man, uh, but it's also an accurate descriptor of who I'll be discussing today. This was probably one of my favorite humans we lost in a very, very tragic way. And I think you'll remember this person, Taylor. Uh, this is another one of those people when I found the new, found out the news that they had passed. It was a complete kick to the gut. I'm going to be discussing today, Phil Hartman. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I love being okay, our ready. age. I love being our age because like we, we, we understand. These, these kids don't get it. I'm gonna, oh, my heart. I'm going to uh. get out of my rocking chair with my spittoon and straw hat in a minute. But So let's go into the bio of Phil Hartman and, and who he was. So Phil was born in Ontario, Canada, which I never knew. I didn't know he was Canadian. I thought he was one of ours, which he clearly is not. Um, his... <laughs> His early life really isn't all that interesting. He had a ton of siblings. The family moved around a bunch. That's basically the gist of it. Except there's one weird connection he has to Marilyn Manson and the Manson murders. He went to school with Squeaky Fromm. Did you know that? Oh, no way. Charles yeah. Manson. But um, What did I say? No way. You said, you said Marilyn Manson. I've been listening to a lot of rock after the Nirvana <laughs> episode. Yeah, I put stuff um, like that on loop. That's interesting. Squeaky from is from Canada? No, no. Uh, when they moved to California. Got it. Yeah. So I'm going to look up a picture of Phil Hartman and have him just smile at me during this. Oh. Uh, yeah. I, I watched a lot of Phil Hartman while I was doing this. So 
I remember him. Hold on, I'm gonna go admonish Luna. Okay. Oh, I'm looking at. Farah's gonna tell you where he remembers Phil Hartman from, but news radio. Oh, he was so delightful on news radio. Obviously, he was on SNL. Just like a really sweet Admonish, man. Admonishment complete. I think. Great. I was gonna say, Taylor. I mostly remember Phil from Saturday Night Live. I'm wondering mm -hmm. how you how you remember him the most. Definitely from SNL. I watched it like live in the '90s. I also feel like his voice comes up in like a ton of like animated things. And like whenever I hear him, I'm like, oh, it's Phil Hartman. I can tell. Um, and then also, not recently, but like 10 years ago, we rewatched News Radio, and he was so good in that. And I also, I'm looking it up and I'm being reminded that two awful people were in news radio joe rogan and andy dick who are both fucking terrible so that's interesting that they just happened to be in there too but uh yeah he was so sweet in news radio okay i'm gonna disagree with you on the joe rogan bit but i will agree with you on the andy dick bit and both of those are going to be pretty prominent what? characters in in this story as i go about discussing it we can we can discuss joe rogan offline <laughs> but he is gonna no, come I'm, up i'm surprised <laughs> But no, continue. Go ahead. Oh, his his Bill Clinton impression. His Bill Clinton. Right? I watched. I watched so many of his clips where he's he the one where he goes to a McDonald's. Okay, you know what? I'm going down a rabbit hole right now, and I'm totally derailing everything I wrote in this outline. So let me let me continue on, and then we'll segue back to all that stuff. But yes, SNL. I think of people of our generation. That's how you know Phil Hartman. He started attending improv classes when he was 27 years old. For work around this time, he was actually a graphic artist, and part of what he did was he would design logos and album covers. So I didn't know this about oh, him, cool. but he did the album cover for one of Steely Dan's albums and the logo for Crosby, Stills, and Nash, which super uh -huh. cool, right? That's cool. Yeah. The comedy group that he joined was called the Groundlings. They also, throughout their, not, not necessarily when he was there, but th it was a fairly prominent comedy troupe so kathy griffin will ferrell lisa kudrow melissa mccarthy paul rubin maya rudolph those were all folks that came out of this comedy troupe mm -hmm. and, I, and like i don't know much about comedy troops but they kind of sound like ncaa sports programs where like there's some programs that produce the best of the best the the, the cream of the mm -hmm. crop and it seems like ground leagues is one of them second cities is another one that people probably yeah that, that's the one i know is second city that's what i would say yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. in, in this case, it's worth noting that Phil's part of the reason why the Groundlings became who they became because he joined the troupe a year after it was formed. And then he went Ooh. on to, it, he's the reason why all these other folks, you know, like Will Ferrell, Maya Rudolph and all them have, it, it has this reputation to attract them. And I just listed off Paul Rubin, who, if you don't know, is the actor who played Pee Wee Herman in Pee Wee's Playhouse. Another thing I learned doing this, they were in the Groundlings together at the exact same time. And during this time, Phil is the one who created the character of Pee Wee Herman. And he was in the show and he produced right, a bunch of Right, he's in it. Yeah, yeah, he's in it. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I it all started, that. It all started during this time when they were both in the Groundlings. There's, he's so yeah, interconnected. Pee, Pee Wee started off as like an adult show, right? Like it Was it? It wasn't always for kids. I think it was like a little like raunchier really in, in inception and then it was like oh kids like this but i think it was that because he was in it anyway we we can have we can talk let's have a second phil hartman episode we just talk about Seriously. how much we love phil hartman 
I, I okay. could go on for like weeks on that. Like I mentioned earlier, Phil joined SNL in its 12th season in 1986. I'm okay. So we need to start having sections where it's like Fars starts his rant here so that people know they can fast forward from there because it's just going to be me Perfect. yelling. Can't wait. For those of you who are younger, the SNL actually used to be amazing. There seems to be like fits and starts. So my current, my opinion right now is I don't watch SNL. I think it kind of sucks. And every now and then if something gets, if like a skit is actually particularly good, it gets enough media play where it, I, I'll pay attention to it. But outside of that, it's not my go-to to watch. Yeah. There seems to be fits and starts. So there are particular cast members and seasons where when they came together, it created just comedy gold. The biggest of those years in cast members would be at the very beginning of SNL. It wouldn't last very long. If I remember correctly, it was three or four seasons where they caught lightning in a in a bottle. That Those would be the years of John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, and Bill Murray, which are obviously mm-hmm. like the, you know, the Mount Everest of comedy, essentially. Mm-hmm. Another one of those peaks, I mean, I would argue, others won't, might not, were several of the seasons Phil Hartman was on the show as well. So the cast members during yeah. this time were Dana Carvey. Do you remember his George Bush impressions? Oh, yeah. Oh, gold. Yeah. Absolute gold. Chris Farley was on at this time. They I mean. overlapped with each other. Chris Rock was on it. Adam Sandler, Al Franken, David Spade, and Rob Schneider. Like, all, to us, I think, Taylor, like, our generation, like, this was our, you know, Mount Everest of comedy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely watched it all the time. I think I stayed up to watch it as well yeah same because obviously like how else would i watch it it's not like it was on reruns yeah or the internet so yeah yeah yeah, i remember for for this work happy hour thing a couple of years ago i was out with my former boss at the time who's who's a few years older than me but like same similar generation and for some reason we started discussing like our favorite chris farley skit and one of our younger colleagues who was there with us goes who's chris farley <gasps> i was like how can you tell me who that was you Side chat me who that was. Um, I, I'm gonna say it here, and then I'm gonna send it to him. It's, it's Marco Suarez. <laughs> uh, Marco, unbelievable. I'm, I'm actually gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm I'm glad. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna call out another one. Morgan Sayag. She also was there and said, "I don't know who he is Morgan? either." Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, that's hilarious. And also, I I'm looking while looking at pictures of Phil Hartman lovingly on Google. Um, do you remember you had to? buy the dvds that was like best of phil hartman yeah and you'd buy yeah. the dvd and it would have like 20 skits on it yeah good old yeah. days right that's nice mm-hmm. the chris farley thing like when i heard that absolutely crushed me he's actually like my favorite snl cast member and i actually kind of assumed yeah. he'd be number three on the list of all-time greatest only behind belushi and murray i found this list that ranked him number 15 which seems like insane like for for so Kristen Wiig and Dana Carvey ranked higher, which I love both of them, but they're not better than Chris Farley. No, no, no. Do you remember his Chippendale character or like Matt oh Foley? Well, I mean, so we again we could get into this, but like the Chippendale sketch like really hurt him emotionally. Really? He Why? Was, like, I've never heard really, of Really, really upset. Because it's, like, essentially a body-shaming sketch, you know? And people are, like, laughing at him because of his body. And afterwards, he's just like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm just this, like, fat guy being, you know, taken advantage of. And he felt 
terrible after that. I think that I read that somewhere when I was reading sad things about Chris Farley one day. Um, uh, well, now I feel bad. He's only like 25 when he died, too. Um, yeah, no, but I, I mean, it's funny, but that was stick. But I think he was probably like getting a little tired of it, even though he was so young. Anyway, yeah. we'll talk about Chris Farley later. <laughs> well, no, we're gonna go into a little bit more of a rant here. So, the the author of this, because I just like personally was like, how are you ranking these people? So he ranked Norm Macdonald 139 out of 145 of cast what? members. Yeah, he ranked Dennis. Okay, well, fuck this list. This list makes he, no sense. He ranked Dennis Miller ahead of Kate McKinnon. No, like, out. Get him out. Okay, I'm gonna call him out here. His name is. <laughs> His name is Rob Sheffield of Rolling Stone. And by the way, I also read your ranking of the top 100 country albums. Taylor Swift beat At Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Shania Twain was 10 spots ahead of Loretta Lynn's coal miner's daughter <laughs> on his list. No, no. Crazy. No. I I remember watching the Coal Miner's Daughter movie with my grandma and my mom. Um, what, what are the all-time great albums ever, ever, yeah. ever made? Not, not just country, just ever. Get them. Okay, <laughs> I'll stop. I'll stop. But I'm just saying, like, this guy seems <sighs> like he's just throwing darts at a board when he's deciding who's funny and I who's the it. best album. Anyways, back to the story. So, again, like, this era of SNL, these actors, they were basically the best thing on TV and, and for comedy in the early 90s, essentially. I mean, you mentioned Phil Hartman's Clint impression. That That is actually the thing that started the whole how we mock presidents thing. Nice. Going forward. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so now we're familiar with Daryl Hannah or, or Will Ferrell or all those guys doing president mockery things. And really, mm -hmm. it was Phil's impression of Clint that kind of set this off. Phil would eventually leave SNL to go work at the show that you just mentioned, the sitcom you mentioned, News Radio, which... To be honest, Taylor, I've never seen it. It sounds like people who watch it. You should watch great. it. Okay. Yeah. Does it hold up? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, the only part, the, oh, I don't know how many, it lasts like one season after Phil Hartman dies and it is different and so sad and everyone's sad. Yeah. It's like you can feel the sadness in the room. So after that happens, I think we like maybe watch like half of it and then stop watching it because it's not the same and everyone is just fucking heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read that he actually posthumously won an Emmy for his work on that show. So it must have been must have been good. No. Between his time on SNL and News Radio, he also worked on The Simpsons, where he voiced one of, well, some of the best characters that were on the show, Troy McClure and attorney Lionel Hutz, which were probably the most well known, but he did others as well. Mm -hmm. In the middle of all this, he was also starring in movies. Well, you know, sometimes starring, a lot of times doing like um, supporting character work and stuff like that mm -hmm. generally speaking he was basically everywhere like his voice was so how, how would you say it like it was it was so recognizable and noticeable you'll know it if you hear it you know like it's definitely one of those things that like if you hear his voice you'll be like oh that's Phil Hartman I exactly. hear him everywhere <laughs> hear yeah. him everywhere exactly yeah if you're if you are familiar with his work, his typical characters come across as kind of larger than life. They're a little bit arrogant, a little bit narcissistic. It's the over-the-topness of how he plays these characters that make them hilarious. By all mm -hmm. accounts, from people he worked with on The Simpsons or Lauren Michaels of SNL to the team over at News Radio, Phil was considered incredibly humble and down to earth and very helpful to his colleagues and just generally a pleasant guy to be around. Again, he got his start in life or not in life, like he had a start in comedy 
his rise in prominence was so late in life that he wasn't one of those guys who was just like raised a celebrity child and like just thought he was the greatest mm -hmm. thing in the world. He knew what it was like to kind of struggle and come up. And so he was very, very thoughtful about it. He married several times. He was married for two years in the 80s. Then he married another woman for three years. And then the main antagonist of this story, Phil married in 1987. This woman is called, her name is Bryn Omdahl. Bryn was an aspiring actress, and it seems like that and a cocktail of alcohol and narcotics were ultimately the cause of her and Phil's downfall. Mm -hmm. You mentioned one of your least favorite people. Joe Rogan actually plays a part in this. So as you mentioned, he was in news radio with Phil, and by all accounts, they were friends with each other. I, I, they, they, yeah, they would have been on pretty close to the same age i think actually around that time and also because mm -hmm. the joe rogan podcast is so prominent and he has so many people that are on the show there's tons of content that's out there he's had pretty much anybody who's been on news radio connected to news radio connected to phil Har all of these people have done interviews on his show and phil Harmon comes up a lot obviously because mm -hmm. a lot of these because everybody who worked with him loved him and they were all yeah. struck by what happened to him so like I mentioned, Joe and Phil were friends throughout their time in um, news radio. And to your earlier point, Andy Dick is also going to make an appearance here because he was also in news radio, as you mentioned. And he played mm -hmm. a role in this it, to varying degrees, depending on who you believe, on what ended up happening mm -hmm. to Phil and Brent. From what Joe himself has said on the podcast, so much of the toxic dynamic of Phil and Brent's relationship had to do with her career aspirations and where Phil was in life. Mm -hmm. They married in 1987. Yeah. So think about that. They they got married a year after Phil gets on SNL. So he was not like the guy yet. Like he's just like, he's like just his head's poking out of water basically at this point. Right. But he still has like a really good job. He has, he has a good. Well, so we don't really know that because if you, for context, the entire cast, almost the entire cast of the previous season had been fired. So he started in 86 the cast of 85 which included robert downey jr and anthony michael hall all of them got fired because nothing was hitting Weird, i don't remember them yeah because, yeah the, like i said snl has fits and starts so there's moments where it's comedy gold and there's moments where it just totally sucks and the year mm -hmm. before phil started it was in the totally sucks category L taylor this is funny on the first the, on the first episode of this season this was season 12 that's the season he started the announcer called them phil hoffman like, it's like again like they're just like amateur hour right they're just like whatever yeah yeah again like he wasn't who he eventually became but by the next year so that would have been 87 88 his star was on the rise he was three years away from being big enough to where he was on the simpsons which again to younger folks the simpsons back then if not paralleled almost certainly eclipsed snl in terms of popularity mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. so, right? Would you say that's accurate? I think so. I think it was more accessible. I mean, like I said before, like, I don't remember how the heck you ever watched anything, like, more than once. There definitely weren't, like, SNL reruns, I don't think, but there were Simpsons reruns, so it was on more. It had the opportunity to be on more often, right? Yeah, and, and also that's this, nice. I would, yeah, and also this would have been, like, the golden era of The Simpsons, like, the funniest, the best, like, all the most memorable stuff that the Simpsons produced. So getting on there, 
I would argue was probably harder than getting on SNL because everybody wanted to be on The Simpsons and because they have yeah. a very finite number of characters they can have on there. His star was skyrocketing at this point. It was very clear, apparently, to those around Phil and Bryn that their relationship was toxic. At this point, they had two kids together, and those around Phil would notice that Bryn made it a point to embarrass him publicly, like talking down to him, yeah. just basically making everyone around them feel uncomfortable in their presence. This had gotten to such a level. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. You can talk about his intro in SNL with her in it. Do you know that part? I don't remember that. So when they, they do the thing where it's like Phil Hartman, you know, I'm like, it's someone like standing in New York City, like smiling, you know, like that, how they, they still yeah. do that, you know, like someone like, whatever. So in his, you'll see that he's at a table with a blonde woman and that's her and her earring is swinging like really, really fast because she wouldn't stop staring at the camera and they had to be like, move your head. This isn't about you. And so she was so mad and she like swung her face backwards and her earring is swinging and he smiles and that's his intro. I'm going to go back and watch that. She had just moved her head because people were like, stop fucking looking at the camera. We're not introducing you. We're introducing him. Oh, I'm going to go back and look at that. Yeah, I never saw that. I, I watched a ton of SNL skits, but I never went back to the intro. How do you remember that, Taylor? I feel like I read that in an article that was like, that was like a, I don't know how I know that. Interesting. I don't know. It's in there. Interesting. I don't know much math. Yeah. That and the fact that you know that tote is German for murder are like the weirdest random things that are connected to my story that I never would have anticipated anyone knowing that you did. So I'm full, I'm full of surprises. Full of surprises. Apparently, this toxicity level got to the point where Joe Rogan would frequently tell Phil he should consider the divorce. He said that he talked to him about like five or six times about this. Like, hey, this isn't good. Like, we can tell something's going on. Phil didn't mm -hmm. want to and would... He, what Joe said on the podcast is the reason he didn't want to do this was because he'd already been divorced twice. And mm -hmm. because at this time he had this squeaky clean family man quality to him in Hollywood, he thought that a divorce mm -hmm. would actually tarnish his image and, and inhibit his career essentially. Okay, so we can say that Joe Rogan in this story is a good friend of Phil Hartman, but now Joe Rogan is a lunatic because he gets people to take ivermectin. I don't... I don't agree with any of this. Like you sound. What are you I, even I had, talking about? I had this whole discussion. Yeah. Okay. So the, I'm not going to the whole COVID thing. I don't really like care about it. It's like, I think that just generally speaking, he has this reputation as this like right wing insane person. It's like, no, he was a stand-up comic and like a UFC commentator and then started a podcast and just like talks to people. Like, I don't It's kind of crazy. All right, we'll have, we can talk about this later. We'll we'll set, we'll have a whole. Why don't we do a but Joe I'm, Rogan? I'm willing section. to say, I'm willing to say that Joe Rogan is a good friend of Phil Hartman. Okay, I think on that's been documented because like everybody who's been on the podcast has also brought this up. Which again, a lot of people have been on the podcast about this. Actually, Andy Dick was on the podcast once, and that was basically enough. Can uh, we say fuck Andy Dick? Yeah, well, I don't know even about that because, like, I think that the guy really, really has a lot of problems, like psychologically. That's true. He has a lot of like, Yeah, it's right. so, like I don't want to like shame him for that. But like I said before, Brent also had substance abuse issues and had tried unsuccessfully to get clean. She would bounce from one substance to the next, and at a new. So this is where he comes in. At a news radio Christmas party in 1997, Andy Dick would give Bryn cocaine and cause her mm -hmm. to relapse and go back down the 
hard drug pass. So I don't know how you categorize That's what this. I heard. That's the thing that I heard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you categorize this, but like to me, there's like three categories of substance users, right? There's the drinkers. There's the chill drug users, which is like marijuana, mushrooms, like organic drug users. Then there's the powders, right? There's the people who get into the powders. And then like, I feel like that is a divergent path that escalates any psychological issues that might pre be pre-existing. Do you, do you sense that sure. too? Or? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, obviously there's other like, has like heroin and meth and like worse things you could be on, I think. Yeah, yeah, but that's true. But, but yeah, definitely. So, so that's what, partially why I think people also put this because like, sure, it was cocaine. It was one time, but you're dealing with someone that has like a history of substance abuse and clearly isn't doing well right, it's not, mentally. She's not the right person to give that to. Right. Right. And he knew it. Right. Like he did not know, but he also has his own problems. So yeah, exactly. Uh Apparently, this caused quite a rift with the castmates because everyone loved Phil and everyone could see that mm -hmm. Bryn was unstable and they were pissed that Andy did this. Like, they saw, like, the, why would you give this person that we know that has this issue? But, like, again, to your point, he, he has his own issues. But uh, there's also mm -hmm. this presumption that maybe he didn't know that she had a history of substance abuse and that's, he was just, like, trying to be a good time guy, you know? Yeah. The fighting in the house got to such an extent that Phil would have his kids go stay elsewhere on occasions. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship like this. You, you, I mean, I certainly have. But when you're with someone where... Oh, yeller. Yeah, like when you know exactly what their triggers are, how to read their mood, and you just brace yourself for battle. That's kind of like mm -hmm. what this sounded like to me. In my mind, I can see Bryn in a robe, like sulking around the house with an empty bottle of vodka at noon, and Phil being like, kids, you got to go to your aunt's house tonight. Like, knowing Ugh, that the next puppies. 12 hours are going to be absolute, absolute hell. Phil mm -hmm. did try to help her for what it's worth. It's actually completely in line with what everybody says about his character. He got her into rehab a few yeah. times. It ultimately failed, like I said before. And as it became more clear to him that she resented his career, he would try to pull strings in Hollywood to get her roles. She mm -hmm. did have a few roles here or there, but this is Phil Hartman. People... Like again, yeah. you might not remember how huge this guy was back in the day. She would have had to be Nicole Kidman in this era to not be you in the shadow. I catch up. Yeah. So all this culminates on May 28th of 1998. Bryn went out to dinner with a friend and had some drinks. She gets home. Her and Phil have a fight, which seems to be the typical standard of their relationship. We don't know what it was over, but regardless, he goes to bed and she stays up. She apparently still has, like, is doing drugs or drinking or some combination thereof. Around 3 a.m., mm -hmm. she goes into their bedroom where he is asleep and shoots him three times. Once Ugh. in the head, once in the neck, and once in the chest, which is like a weird, like, just what were you thinking about? Jesus. Just going up and down, like you're doing like the dots with his, like, spine. Like crazy, just like, I don't know, who knows? Yeah. Ugh. Oh my god! Yeah, that's so sad. Yeah, and look, were the kids home? They were. They were. I'll get into that. Oh no! Going back oh. to the Andy Dick thing. Um, later on, they found out that she had a cocktail of Zoloft, cocaine, alcohol in her system. So, uh, the cocaine thing stuck after that Christmas party. Apparently, Bryn leaves the house then and goes over to a former boyfriend's house, a guy named Ron Douglas, and tells him what she did. 
They go back to the Hartman house together, and Ron discovers that she's telling the truth and immediately calls the police. Good job, Ron. At this point, yeah, the police show up, and the police take the kids out of the house. They No, oh, they, she left them there? Well, Ron was in the house, too. Ron was with Bryn in the house. But she left them there when she went to get Ron. Yeah, yeah, she did. Ew. So the police show up, take, take Ron out of the house, take the kids out of the house. Bryn locked herself in the bathroom. And then mm-hmm. shoots herself in the head and kills herself. Ugh. Oh. The Andy Dick thing again, like, you, you're familiar with John Lovitz, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so John Lovitz was also part of this whole, I mean, all these guys, it's it's like L.A. comedy, right? It's the L.A. comedy scene. They all know each yeah. other. So they were all part of the comedy store scene, the improv. They were all, they were on, actually, I don't remember if Andy Dick was on SNL, but John Lovitz definitely was on SNL. And I think John Lovitz, mm-hmm. after Phil Hartman died, went on news radio as well do you recall that at all with that season that you watched remember. Half of? okay i don't remember i just remember so they have him die of like natural causes but he was like the main character he was just such a great character on that show he, he very phil hartman like a very like a conceited like funny guy oh, um so without him it, it just i mean the whole was just ginormous like you never they never ever ever would have written him out of that show you know, so it was like a plot line they never would have had. It's almost like the show so like, wouldn't have been, it wouldn't, doesn't need to exist without that character in it. Exactly. And they all knew it and they were all just so fucking sad. Yeah. 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 Like I meant, like with, with the whole John Lovitz thing. So apparently he, he, he's one of the guys who really was pissed off about this. He was apparently really, really close to Phil. And they would get into physical fights when they would see each other. And, like, they're in the comedy scene in L.A. together. They would see each other all the time. They'd be at the comedy store. There's stories about John Lovitz just bashing his head against a uh, bar at the comedy store when they ran into each other. Like, it was... it was Andy Dick? Yeah. Oh. Because that's how responsible that crew of people saw. And, like, like in, the, in, in one of the episodes, Rob Lowe was on the Rogan podcast, and he was like, yeah, I had Andy on once definitely don't need to talk to him ever again like we're good like it's like it, this mm-hmm. cause like this like legit rift amongst that entire castmate or the crew like i mentioned so phil would have died in at the age of 49 that was in 1998 he started his rise in fame in 86 so that's 12 years and probably like really it's 10 yeah. years where he's kind of living out his dream which is kind of a fact that i found find really sad he did yeah he did the thing that they say can't be done or is hard to be done, which is finding your calling in life really late in life. Mm-hmm. By this math, he would have been 37 when he got his big break that first year of SNL, which that's awesome, right? Yeah. Oh my God. That's so awesome. As someone who has no big breaks, it is 40. This awesome. is, this is our big break, Taylor. This is it. <laughs> Guys, please tell your friends. Please tell your friends. <laughs> Taylor needs this. <laughs> She's literally crying. Um, yeah, going back to the two kids. So they ended up being taken in by Bryn's sister and her husband. Um, apparently, Bergen, the daughter, she ended up having her own substance abuse issues. But I checked out her Insta page, which is, which is fairly active. If you want to see it, it's Bergen, Bergen Hartman. She is now 11 years and four weeks clean from opioids and apparently happily married. Awesome. So good for her. Not much good, to say. Good, good, good. She, yeah, there's not much to say about Sean, the son, other than he lives in California. He's a musician and artist, and I couldn't really find much more about him on there. So yeah. hopefully he's living his best life as well. I don't know how you can after your parents do that or your mom does that, but hopefully he gets over that trauma. Yeah. 
So that is uh, Phil and Bren. But um, now we're going to go to a, a super uplifting story. Right, Taylor? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, just sad. Hold on, let me continue to be sad for a second. I'm looking at He was so good. Like, it sucks that, like, people <laughs> don't recognize 